0: So as far as just some background on the report, um, as you can tell from the title, Framing Justice in Syria, the Road Toward Comprehensive Justice, it's a report that addresses um, how we can achieve justice and accountability for the crimes against humanity that have been committed um, in Syria. And so as far as um, this report, you know, unfortunately, um, as you might know, Syria has tended to fall down from the attention of the news. And so with this report, we hope to bring Syria back to the center of attention. And so in collaboration with um, the Syria campaign, we decided that the story of justice and accountability for the Syrian people needed to be told through the lens of um, the Syrian people, which is why um, for this report, we actually conducted a series of interviews with, Syrian activists and people that that work on this issue. Um, and you know, for as just um for people perhaps living in democracies, maybe um the purpose of this report also aims to show how you know this is what could happen when you know a country like Syria where there's no democracy and don't no democratic institutions in place. So um overall, just to give you kind of a synopsis of how the report is structured. Um, it starts out with you know an introduction and an overview of the political system in Syria. Then it progresses into the different abuses that um, have taken place in the country, among which include um, enforced disappearance. Then we get into more of the legal discussion, and this paves the way toward discussions of justice and um, different recommendations. And um, in short, as far as you know your topic of like you know the digital aspect, Um, You know, the importance of that is that, you know, archiving and documenting of these different abuses can be used in future um, legal efforts as as it relates to holding um, perpetrators of human rights abuses accountable for their actions.
1: Um, We have to invite anybody who wants to ask a question, put it in the chat or the Q&A, and um, we'd be happy. To consider them but w- one of the things that needs reminding people is that it's it's almost Syria's disappeared from the headlines for most of this year because of Ukraine uh, and I'm presuming from your evidence that the same degree of criminality is still going on even though Putin's recalled some of his orcs back home. Well so
0: as far as like this report, I think um, one commonality among that we can um, look at is how um, you know the conflict in Syria and the conflict in Ukraine, they're both currently ongoing. So naturally, along the way, we're going to be learning things. And so um, so for example, in the case of, um, that we examined in the, the report that we looked at the Koblenz trial, um, something that was important was that um, through like the testimonies of um, of victims and survivors, and through the archiving of evidence, these were able to um, to help contribute to um, evidence that could be used in universal jurisdiction trials. And I think with with Ukraine, because it's getting so much attention in the media, this is actually um, as far as it relates to future um, uh, potential trials that could take place, I think there's a wealth of evidence that can be used um, as it relates to um, justice and accountability efforts.
1: And uh, specifically the the accused in the Koblenz case, what were they accused of and how did they end up in Germany? Because that's a bit intriguing. If you're committing crimes like this, you're presuming that flowing to Western Europe with its European Court of Human Rights, et cetera, is not a clever move.
0: Well so so just to take a, a step back uh, for a moment maybe for, for our audience, so uh, so for example, at the Human Rights Foundation, we focus on countries that are, are non-democratic and something about non-democratic countries that makes them different from democratic countries is that in democracies you have um, a separation of powers between the different branches of government. you have an in, and importantly, you have an independent, um, judiciary or judicial branch that can um and accountability mechanisms in place to address abuses under non-democratic countries these institutions uh, like a judicial branch is that essentially don't exist so what that means is that when it comes to addressing human rights abuses you have to look outside of the country in order to achieve um you know justice and accountability so as it relates to the Koblenz trial the case in the report what happened was that there were two um, former Syrian regime officials that had um, left Syria and went to Germany, and um, one of them in particular, he um, oversaw um, a detention center with, and he oversaw the the torture of um, of detainees, and essentially in Germany, um, he went to German authorities because he feared that um, he feared for his life given his defection from the regime. And in the process of speaking with German authorities, he disclosed the the torture he oversaw. and in, in that process, um, he, he essentially the German authorities had enough um, information to trigger an investigation into him. and um, it was the same with the, the other Syrian official. however, he was um, in his case it was aiding a crime against humanity. Um, and ultimately um, One of them earlier this year was sentenced to life imprisonment, um, and one of them um, the year before was sentenced to four and a half uh, years in prison. But um, this is how they came under. um, This is how Germany essentially was able to try these two individuals under this concept of universal jurisdiction.
1: And uh, which other countries are, are sort of signed up for this in one degree or another?
0: there's um so among some countries are um there's apart from germany there's um sweden france among other european countries that have engaged in this
1: is the united states one
0: i need to look into that one okay
1: We need to alert them to look out for Syrian defectors, especially Syrian defectors with big mouths, I presume. Mm-hmm. But so what uh, were witnesses called in these trials or did they sort of fess up to begin with? I mean, I would have thought uh, Confession of Torture would have made headlines in most of the tabloids.
0: Well, um, I know there was the involvement of different like um, Syrian um survivor-led groups that had um, witnesses um but um i can speak more on the topic of the uh, like universal jurisdiction more and legal concept more broadly
1: okay well, pl- please do then <laughs> and uh I mean, we're, we've got questions coming in now asking what recommendations uh, does the report offer
0: well so for example um one a, a theme that centered around um, that kind of trend that was like a thread throughout the report was that we were advocating for a, a victim-centered approach to justice. And what a victim-centered approach to justice means that throughout all processes, whether they be like criminal legal proceedings um, or others, they should involve the input of Syrian survivor-led groups, um, Syrian victims, because ultimately efforts of justice should be uh, led by um, led by Syrians among other recommendations that we put forth in the report and therefore different stakeholders, for example, maybe in the case of, for example, you know, the press, like for example, amplifying the voice of um, Syrian survivors and um, activists and getting their stories out, Um, for example. And then also as far as like social media companies, um, for example, um, providing content that can be used as, evidence for um, universal jurisdiction trials. Um, Those are a couple that come to mind off the top of uh, my head.
1: Well, that also brings to mind uh, the current of Brolio that Mater is involved in because uh, their own commissioned report says that uh, Facebook uh, suppressed examples of uh, allegations against Israeli forces and boosted the ones uh, against uh, allegations against uh, about Palestinian forces. So one of the difficulties with uh, internal jurisdictions is they will always tend to have skewed balance and even international ones like Meta, especially international ones, since they'll obviously be balanced in favor of the billionaires that own it. But how do you, uh, you're mentioning that it's best if Syrians do it. Isn't one of the points about universal declarations and um, universal jurisdiction and tribunals that often in a war-torn society nobody trusts justice Uh, people might be prepared to let somebody from outside come in but you know for example when Slobodan uh, when it came to Slobodan Milosevic, the Serbs were quite happy to send him off to The Hague to be tried because they didn't really want to face the social fissures that would result from being tried at home.
0: Well, so I think, so first of all, I think what it comes down to with universal jurisdiction, it's, it's I mean, it's not a solution to everything going on in Syria. It's not a silver bullet. So for example, um, the, the, um, the Koblenz trial, what was significant about it was that first of all, it provided a counter-narrative to that of the regime. So, for example, one of the activists that I interviewed, she described um, the Koblenz trial as a glimmer of hope um, for the, the families of victims. Someone else, another activist I interviewed, he described the significance of the Koblenz trial as something that sends a signal to the regime that for those who think that they're bold enough to move on with their lives and get away with their abuses, they can't. Um, and essentially this up, this, this counter narrative, that uplifting of the voice of victims, I think is, um, very significant and helps give these families at least some type of, um, closure. Now, that being said, universal jurisdiction also does have its limitations. Um, for example, um, it's like, um, universal jurisdiction is legal in nature, whereas in our report, we look at how universe are justice is something that should be comprehensive and the universal jurisdiction um trial that took that we addressed in the report it was specific to two individuals however at the same time we need to look at um the fact that again the conflict is ongoing um and abuses are still being carried out but also the trial did not address the fact that the the reason why these abuses are being carried out are the authoritarian systems that are in place and um and, that, and, and so again, it's not universal jurisdiction doesn't solve everything, but at least this is the mechanism that we have in place legally that can work toward um, addressing these abuses that have been taking place.
1: And like I mentioned with Sheriff Passioni and the uh, International Commission on the Crimes in the former Yugoslavia, small acorns, unpromising acorns can grow into reasonably sized trees in terms of the international criminal tribunals um so do you is there any move for an international tribunal on syria and uh, crimes committed there
0: now um as far as um like the interviews that we've conducted generally it, it doesn't seem that there's uh, a big amount of support for the um like an ad hoc or international tribunal but um But um, universal jurisdiction has been seen so far as the most viable option.
1: So uh, would these cases possibly be suitable for the International Criminal Court?
0: Well, so the thing is with the International Criminal Court, um, something that's um, now it's described as like a court of last resort when states um, nationally are unwilling to prosecute crimes. That being said, um, something that has presented an obstacle with International Criminal Court is that um, a case can be referred through UN Security Council um, resolution. However, in the case of Syria, with Russia and China, such efforts would get vetoed. So that's why the International Criminal Court at the moment for Syria's case um, wouldn't work in the way that universal jurisdiction would
1: no, so it's it's the veto. We'll we'll stop it, uh, to which uh, uh, both uh, Joe Biden and Macron have addressed in their recent speeches, I believe. Uh, except I don't think that applies to the French or the American veto. As always, there's a partiality about these preachments from uh, people concerned. But um, you you're from Syria yourself, are you?
0: Oh no, I'm not.
1: No. Oh well, sorry. <laughs>
0: But it's among the countries we focus on at the Human Rights Foundation. No
1: problem, no problem. You don't have to own the problem to be concerned about it. (laughs) I'm not Syrian. I'm deeply concerned about Syria. In fact, I've been to Damascus several times. And uh, I got some hint of the chilling atmosphere where I have to interview people behind pillars so we're not actually facing each other and our lips aren't moving in case spies are watching. So uh i'm aware of how pervasive and that was before they came out uh, completely nasty and didn't scruple about beating people up um to win something like this you have to win public opinion for universal jurisdiction so uh what can be done to uh bolster awareness in uh, germany or france or any of the other countries that a uh, universal jurisdiction might be an outlet You have to get people angry, you have to get people pushing their government saying, you have to take action on this, you know, uh, like in Britain when uh, Pinochet was arrested. um, There was a popular groundswell of why you fostering this uh, deranged dictator.
0: I think in, in the case of Syria, and so, so again, I mentioned this uh, this before, we, have, um, we collaborated with the Syria campaign on, on this report, and they have an extensive network of um, organizations and activists that they work with. And um, the Syria campaign, for for example, has done a great job with um, spreading the word on what's going on in Syria. In addition to that, there's organizations and other initiatives, um, for example, like the Taifi Initiative, um, um, Families for Freedom, the Caesar Families Association, the Syrian Emergency Task Force, the Syrian um, Justice and Accountability Center. These are just a few organizations I'm naming, but. They've done all great work in getting the word out there on um, Syria, and um, it's through work of these types of organizations that um, the word gets out to the international uh, community and the public. And I think this helps um, generate a a push and support for such efforts.
1: But it's not exactly um, a sort of single word that's coming out because... um syria in a way was a testbed for the info wars in ukraine there were lo- loads of willing voices prepared to parrot the kremlin line that the white helmets were CIA agents or you know islamic jihadists that everybody who protested about um uh, al-assad was a uh, if so facto an, an islamist fundamentalist so i mean how can you build a jurisdiction when you've got a propaganda war of this scale being an insidious propaganda war being waged against you
0: so um, among the things actually um the report addresses is actually this need um like among the efforts for for justice includes a component of um truth and information and um preserving the narrative and um among that does include um, countering the propaganda that's been carried about by uh, authoritarian regimes, and at, on, as on the part of the the international community, while um, we. You know, of course, we're advocating in the report for a victim-centered approach to justice. We, as an international community, should support the groups that are that are currently carrying out efforts to counter this propaganda that's being um, carried out by the different um, actors in Syria, among which includes um, the Syrian regime.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, w- w- to get back to before. What specific crimes were the uh, indictees in Koblenz uh, accused of?
0: Now, there's, um, there's a variety of different abuses, but in our report and among the activists that we did interview, we um, gave, we wanted to give particular attention to the subject matter of um, enforced disappearance. But of course, you know, um, there are a variety of other um, like, tort, of course, torture in different forms took place within the, the detention centers themselves. I mean,
1: there there's at least one defector produced a comprehensive archive of photos, horrifying photos, of torture and death. And even that wasn't uh, enough to convince the Kremlin trolls that something real was going on there. So... so uh, Do you have the resources to make those public, to let people know?
0: Or the results of, or what are you uh, referring to?
1: I can't quite remember at the moment, but there was somebody who was employed by the regime to take photographs. Uh Oh, you're
0: referring to, I believe it was the Caesar photos.
1: That's the one, yes.
0: Eventually, yeah, so the the Caesar photos, they were taken by uh, someone that was formerly uh, a part of the regime. And eventually, um, he defected from the regime, and those um, those photos were um, were released, and um, they they showed. Um, and I mean, I mentioned enforced disappearance before, but for some, for like for example, one of the women I interviewed for the report, that was how she found out that her son was dead. Like that's the that's the impact of the you know. That 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 shows like the importance of uh, being able to preserve um, evidence and contribute to these trials. This is how you know, like truth comes out.
1: Has that photo file been analyzed forensically? I mean, have matches been made with the people in them and uh, the dates of disappearance, etc., and and who disappeared them?
0: Now I don't have this specific details as to how um, their um, being worked on at the moment, but I do know that they were very um, influential as it relates to universal jurisdiction.
1: Did Were they invoked in Koblenz?
0: Um, since I, I my colleagues at the Syria camp, they were more uh, aware of the on the ground of what was going on in the trials, so that would be more um, something they would be able to speak to.
1: Okay, so so what's the next move for universal jurisdiction? get more of it, because obviously there's a lot of people, and the questions being asked here at the moment, um, people will be asking about universal uh, jurisdiction in the context of the current invasion of Ukraine. Uh, One might almost say that you shouldn't close the border to Russians because there might be Russian criminals escaping that can be arrested when they're on on this side of the border.
0: Well, I think with what Koblenz showed, is that a legal Illegal precedents, um, as I as I mentioned before, it does um, it does send a, a signal uh, that the that if there's a, for those that let's say um, like in the case of the Syrian regime officials, they were in Germany and they implicated themselves and this triggered an investigation. And so I I do think um, it sends a signal to the regime that you know eventually the day will come that. Um, those that are perpetrating um, like these human rights abuses will be held accountable for their actions.
1: I mean, the, presumably there's a database uh, that should be, but these two people came to Germany uh, very likely as political refugees seeking political asylum. And was there no database that people could check and say, oh wow, yes, these are definitely highly political, but they're driving people to asylum rather than the other way around.
0: Well, I mean, I think what this would say for countries um, that are um, right now would be that um, we should perhaps look into um, the like the background of the of like, in these cases, these were defectors, they had defected from the regime. Um, But
1: we encourage defectors, of course, the Lord welcomes penitents and sinners, so we don't want to put them off, but we do want to get them if they do come and they have blood all over their hands.
0: Um, I mean, and we, we, those that have committed abuses should be um, held accountable for their actions.
1: So do you hold out any hope for the Syrian courts to take any action against anyone any time at all? Uh, I mean, a, a real criminal, I mean.
0: Well, I think the, I think um, the case of universal jurisdiction um, does provide hope. And as I, I mentioned um, as it relates to one of the activists I interviewed, again, it's this glimmer of hope. And I think um, in the case of Syria, you know, with um, you know the voice of like survivor led groups, there's more of a wealth of evidence that could be used um, in future trials. You have um, organizations like um, the Syrian archive that are archiving and documenting um, the evidence of the abuses. So I think it it does provide hope for the the future. Um, And this is what I think um, makes Koblenz historic because it was the first case of state-sponsored torture regarding Syria.
1: Well, we know about Syrian torture because the CIA subcontracted torture to deportees from uh to, to, to detainees from Afghanistan and, and uh Iraq there. We, we know how bad they were because we hired them for their expertise in being bad. Uh, we subcontracted Western torture to them for a while. Um does universal jurisdiction extend as far as going after the people who connived at? I mean, say Tony Blair, for example, George W.
0: Bush. <laughs> Well, at the Human Rights Foundation, uh, we focus on non-democratic regimes, and so that would get out of the, the scope of the, the report. And um, I think in just in general, like I mentioned before, um, in democracies, we do have uh, mechanisms in place to address um, different like abuses and human rights violations. In the case of non-democratic countries, these traditional avenues um, don't exist, and this is why we have to look to international law mechanisms and outside of, um, like, look at legal systems outside of those in the country.
1: Mm-hmm. I, mean, I agree with you, but you're still setting up a possible uh, dichotomy with the "what about?" Because they'll say, "Why are you only looking at? W- why are you only looking at what uh, the Russians are doing in Ukraine?" and Syria, but not looking at what the U.S. was doing in Syria and in, in Iraq, because it leads to a, a fundamental. Uh, well, a, an appearance, at least of uh, bias, uh, what we call whataboutery.
0: Now, I, I see your point, but um, it goes it goes outside of the scope, at least of the research that we've um, conducted on the report.
1: Sure. Now you're concentrating. You you stick to your knitting (laughs) when the time comes and concentrate on what you're doing. Could you tell us a little about the Human Rights Federation and what uh, its origins and its scope of work?
0: Yes, so the Human Rights Foundation, we focus on promoting and protecting human rights uh, globally with a focus on uh, closed societies and what we say what we refer to by closed societies are countries that are non-democracies, which, um, and just to um, just give a little bit of, um, an, uh, just a background uh, on like the scope of um, the impact of non-democracies is that more than half of the world's population is living under a non-democratic uh, regime. And these are countries where there's um, lack of freedom of speech, lack of, um freedom of association, assembly. There's no independent uh, judicial um, branch in place. Um, In democracies, it's not that human rights abuses um, don't exist or don't happen, but in democracies, at least you have a vibrant um, press that can speak about these abuses. You have um, a proliferation of um, NGOs that can address these issues. Um, You have a judiciary that can tackle on these issues. And so um, at the Human Rights Foundation, we focus our attention on countries where they don't have these um, mechanisms um, that exist. But also something that's very central and important to our work is amplifying the voices of activists and human rights defenders that are working in non-democracies in order to, um, in in their struggles for freedom and democracies. Um, And among the ways that we do carry out this work, you know, apart from our research and our work, work, research and reports at the Human Rights Foundation is through, we have an annual conference every year called um, the Oslo Freedom Forum. And um, usually it takes place in May and it gathers um, activists, not just activists to tell their stories, but it also brings together people from a variety of different fields, whether it be including journalists, artists, policymakers. Um, Technologists, um, and it unites them in this common cause of uh, f- promoting freedom and democracies. And um, actually, now um, next week on October 3rd, we do have um, a smaller version of our Oslo event called the Oslo Freedom Forum in New York. It's going to be October 3rd from 2 o'clock to 6 o'clock at the town hall, and um, all Freedom um, Press Association members are invited. And if they'd like to attend, they should- The Press Association Association, um, is um, invited to attend the event. And if you would like to attend, you can please um, email media at hrf.org. And um, at this event, you'll hear the stories of um, activists from different um, non-democracies tell their stories and highlight the situation um, taking place.
1: Now, you you obviously thought the Koblenz cases were significant enough. you devoted a whole report to it and uh so where where is this and what other cases areas are you working on where this provides an important um precedent or example
0: or um you mean you mean like wh- why we fo- focused on no, the... or which
1: other countries are there that uh, will Benefit from this report immediately, because I mean it, it's not just about Syria; it's about uh, universal, universal jurisdiction and universal interest uh, for the for for people of the world. And what's happening?
0: I mean, I think um, now in the case of, for example, um, in this case, in this particular case, also through actually, it was like our, you know the Oslo Freedom Forum actually and our relationship with um, the Syria campaign, it was through discussion that this um, topic really came to light and um, captured our attention. But I think, um, I mean, in this case with, um, like you brought up Ukraine, um, you know, this case of universal jurisdiction showed what could happen in a, you know, you've, like this was a situation where there was a conflict on going and there was a trial taking place. and. Um, maybe in, country, in other countries where conflicts are taking place, they could consider this um, as an option. Maybe, again, it's part of the reason why universal jurisdiction is viable is because other mechanisms such as the International um, Court of Justice or the International Criminal Court, in the case of Syria, because of things like the UN Security Council veto, might not be able to push through, so um, so I think in. In countries where those options don't exist, also as well, uh, perhaps universal jurisdiction could be applied.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's been hinted at a lot in, recently that uh, Russians, uh, Russian military and civil officials who have taken part in uh, atrocities in Ukraine will be up for prosecution if they travel outside. It's been even people who are arranging the referendum it's it's been hinted that they will meet repercussions elsewhere so you know obviously universal jurisdiction is in the air even if the particular mechanism isn't established yet so i mean how, has human rights the human rights federation looked at with the ukrainians a way to instrumentalize this uh, this uh, culpability on on an international level
0: now, um, my colleagues at the Human Rights Foundation have a, a Ukraine Solidarity Fund. And so it's uh, through this program that um, we've been doing work on Ukraine. However, I feel like my colleague would be able to uh, speak more to that as far as um, work in that area.
1: Was it, was it difficult to construct a case for Koblenz? So, you know, was it, was it shut and dry because they, had, um, they, they confessed to get out?
0: I mean, I think with the information that was provided to German authorities, it was enough to establish um, the case against them.
1: Yes, because a grand jury indictment, I suppose you say here. It's, um... <laughs> so, are
0: there any more questions from anybody? I'm looking, I'm looking.
1: Okay, well, I think we're going to, we'll close down shortly. Um, but, uh, you know, I'd like to thank you. It's an interest. It's, this is early days. It does remind me of the early days of the Balkan situation when we're all horrified by what was happening and nobody knew quite what to do. And things have been done since then. And it was because of work like this. It was uh, the commission of inquiry into war crimes in the former... Um, into the former Yugoslavia which provided and that was at the time a sign of total weakness the United Nations was horrified officially by what was doing but none of them were horrified enough to do anything about it as James Baker Secretary of State said at the time we don't have a dog in that fight uh, which meant that the people being dismembered by the dogs the other dogs down there were left to swing on their own. So, I mean, it was built up by that report and by the wellsprings of indignation that we got into the closest we've had to universal jurisdiction with the International Criminal Tribunal in former Yugoslavia and then Rwanda. And it was very much popular indignation and the gathering of evidence in reports like this uh, and elsewhere. So i Really like to uh, thank you for the Human Rights Federation for this. Welcome our members to go to the Oslo, Oslo Found- Freedom Foundation at the Town Hall uh, next Wednesday. Was it?
0: It's on um, next Monday on October third. October third. Yes.
1: Oh, it's difficult to know what day it is nowadays. <laughs> and um, so, it's uh, pl- please do try to get there and find out what is happening internationally. Uh, about the universal jurisdiction and let's give a ray of hope in when we see the dark deeds being committed with impunity across the world then uh, the idea that someone somewhere might have to pay for it not in a retributive sense but at least it gives pause to people who are about to switch the electric current on or pull the pliers that they might have to pay for what they're doing and uh, that's a good step you? Yes. I
0: think I think I just I just wanted to add um, as far as the people we interviewed for the report as far as survivors and the family members of victims I think some of them are among some of the strongest people I've met and um, I think um, you know for them you know and th- this case did represent a lot of uh, hope for them and um, again we should support the effort of um, individuals like this that are that are are working on this. Um, on this very important issue. And um, I think, and I just wanted to say, thank you for holding this conversation today because uh, Syria has gone down as far as attention in the news cycle. And I think um, it's very important for all of us, whether it be at the Human Rights Foundation or members of the press, to amplify the voices of um, the Syrian people.
1: As an investigative journalist, I think journalists do have a, a special role. It's Exactly. How morale boosting it not not just in terms of ventilating it. It's amazing how morale boosting it is for the victims to find that people are interested in their story of what's happened to them. And, it can and
0: some of the people it. I interviewed for them actually speaking about their stories as a form of like therapy, and it helps them. Um, because something. I mean, for those of you, um, you can see our report on our website at hrf.org. But we have a section actually dedicated to mental health, and some some people for some activists um, speaking about their experiences also helps them um, move forward as well.
1: As an investigative journalist, uh, since we don't actually get much money, that's been one of the uh, sort of karma payments that I've had over the years: is the satisfaction of uh, providing an audience and a shoulder for people who have mm-hmm. gone through terrible things and found that nobody was interested very much. We are interested, of course, all of us uh, in the Foreign Press Association, and I hope mostly in the journalist uh, community. So uh, thank you very much again. And uh, let's see you all soon.
0: Thank you, it was an honor.
1: Thank you.